We often believe that our unresolved issues are our own little secrets, neatly tucked away from the view of others. However, to those who interact with us regularly or know us intimately, our baggage is no secret at all. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. And he stepped out of the boat by faith, that'd be symbolic of salvation. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. Even though the winds were howling, the waves were crashing, the storm was all over the place, his circumstances hadn't changed. But he kept his eyes on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. There's so much going on in our culture and our world that is distracting and Satan is alive and well on planet earth. And there's storms raging and winds howling and school shootings and inflation. And the first thing is keep your eyes on Jesus. It starts by having a faith putting your faith and trust in Jesus, because everything will pass away, but he will remain. We're in a series called Secret Baggage, and what drags us down is unresolved issues in our life. And Jesus says, I come to give you freedom, and a life full of freedom. And when we ignore, deny, lie to ourselves, fake people out that we don't have these unresolved issues, we're carrying around baggage that will drag us down. We've talked about generational sin and enablement and starvation last Sunday, and and when we are so encompassed with our baggage, many times we're looking at our baggage, trying to figure out ourselves how to fix it. We can't fix it. Only Christ can. When we keep our eyes on Jesus and we we walk in faith with Jesus, The circumstances may not change, but we change. And he provides us what we need to keep going and to actually begin to live in freedom. We uh, put this, we had the series nine years ago, and last year we put it in a book form and go into much more detail, but every single chapter I was determined to point people to Jesus and his word, because that is where freedom comes from from Jesus and his word. There's where the power is. We've got no power. Now, the two baggages I'm going to talk about today are the most common. But I'm going to illustrate it by a commercial. By the way, I hate commercials. Anybody hate commercials? hate commercials. Just wasting my time. Get back to the game. Come on. But occasionally there's commercials that I like because they have humor in it. And every good piece of humor has truth in it. And I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you Pastor Barry's favorite commercial from Geico. It's a horror movie spoof making fun of those stupid movies. Some of you like horror movies. You got issues. You need more Jesus. But it's playing on it because it's, you know, horror movies are, are, are leveraging fear and anxiety and darkness and moving shadows and suspenseful music and, and then our, our imagination goes wild. What, what is going to happen? What may happen? 
So I'm gonna show you my favorite commercial and tell you my two favorite parts. Here's a Geico commercial. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's what you do. I'm being quiet. Breathing on My favorite part of the commercial is that look on Mr. Chainsaw Guy. He didn't say anything, but he said a lot with his eyes. This is what he was saying. Bunch of idiots. Right? And there's a tagline, that's my second favorite part, is this, is that if you are in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. It's what you do. I'm going to talk about anxiety and fear today. And when you, if you have a, a baggage of anxiety or a baggage of fear, some of you have both you know, luggage, are both pieces of luggage of anxiety and fear. If you are living in a state of anxiety and fear, you're going to make poor decisions. It's what you do. Because you cannot have your eyes on Jesus and be full of anxiety and fear. You cannot. It's in the midst of anxiety and fear that we look to Jesus and things fall to the side. Emotional cousins, I call these two. Um, I have two separate chapters, and I could go much more length, but due to scheduling, I'm putting them together. But I call them emotional cousins. They're closely related, but different. Here's anxiety. Here's anxiety. Anxiety is this, this irrational, what-if, future-oriented kind of fear. It's an irrational, what-if, future-oriented fear where we ask ourselves questions. Well, well, what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? Or what if, what if they say no? What if I don't get this job? What if I don't get this raise? And our minds are going crazy and we're filled with anxiety. You feel a lump on your, on your neck right here and you're like, oh, what if it's cancerous? Is it deadly? What if, what if, what if I'm gonna die? It could be an ingrown hair. If you're a teenager, it could be a, a zit for me, okay? But our brains just go crazy when we ha- are anxious. Fear is different. Fear is a reaction to a specific observable danger or consequence. It's something real, tangible, observable, and it scares us because it has danger or there's consequences. You, you receive the word that you have cancer. Boom, fear. It's, it's real. And, and, and then, you, then you, you have anxiety with that. You start asking a bunch of questions. Or you get in trouble and you do something stupid. And then you have all this fear inside because if you get caught, you could lose your job and your salary and your benefits. That's where fear is. Anxiety is all about the mind. That's the emotion of the mind. Fear is about, you know, scared of something real and tangible. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, perfect environment. God gave one rule, don't eat of one tree. 
Everything else, go for it. Have juice running down your mouth, Adam and Eve. But that one tree, don't, don't, don't eat of it. And Satan comes in, a little snake, punk snake, and he comes in and he, he deceives them. He question, has them question God's word. And then they, they sinned. They disobeyed God. And immediately there was anxiety and fear. Anxiety is all of a sudden they realized for the first time, I'm naked. You're naked. And I'm sure their mind was like, what what is going to happen now? God said if we do this, that we will die. What does die? What does death mean? And their minds, then it says, when they heard the sound of God walking in the garden toward them, meaning that happened on a regular basis, they had fellowship. When they heard the sound of God walking, they hid. We're in trouble. What's God going to do? I got an idea. Let's hide. Maybe behind chainsaws, I don't know. Let's hide. When we are filled with anxiety and fear, we make poor decisions. That's what we do. That's what we do. But here's the good part. Here's the central point. Central point is this. Anxiety and fear always negatively affects the quality of our life and relationships. Always, always, always. Both are tools from Sat- that Satan uses, but they can be defeated. If you're living in a constant state of anxiety and fear, you are enslaved to it, you are are in bondage to it, there is freedom from those baggages. But it's a tool that Satan uses, he knows that it's gonna affect us physically and emotionally and definitely spiritually and relationally if we're all filled with anxiety and fear. And, and then, we're, have you ever had a panic attack? I've had a panic attack. Scares the snot out of you, and I have lots of snot with my sinus issues. Uh, then also, now you're apprehensive. Now you're paralyzed of making a decision with fear and anxiety. And, and then you're, okay, what if I fail? Oh my goodness, what if I fail? And all the consequences of that. And then you got, actually you get anxiety with success. How am I going to keep that up? And the bar is raised. I'm, can I keep, you know, hitting that mark? And stress, change, and, and, and oh, oh, my, oh my goodness, the curveballs of life hit us, and anxiety and fear, anxiety and fear, and Satan's just going, it's working, my tools are working. You see, Satan has a really small toolbox. These are his go-to tools. He knows we're so fearful and anxious as human beings. It is a small toolbox, and he pulls those tools out every time. Why does he pull them out every time? Because they work. He plays upon our fears and our anxious thoughts, and he leverages it for his gain. I'm going to give you a piece of truth here. Anxiety and fear always, always, always will put us in bondage. Always. Some of you, you have been living with anxious thoughts for decades. Some of you are in bondage right now to fear. It always puts you in bondage. But there is hope, there's antidotes, there's freedom that you can have from it. Now if this is you, you're anxious, you got all about the what is, what about, oh my goodness, it, the thoughts is keeping you up at night, or you're fearful of a real situation, a real diagnosis, a real uh, immediate future. If you know Jesus, and that's the that's that's first step of freedom, you have to have a relationship with Jesus, and with Jesus comes all sorts of resources that he gives to us. If that is you, if you're a child of God, 
and you're living in a constant state of anxiety and fear, or maybe right now you're feeling anxious and, and fearful, imagine Jesus pulling you close to him, placing each hand on your shoulders and looking you directly in the eye and saying these words that he told his disciples. He said this, do not worry. That's what Jesus is saying to you, do not worry. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, have a job, a paycheck, you know. They don't store away in barns. They don't have retirement plans. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not (laughs) more valuable than birds? Then he goes on to say, this is like a rhetorical question. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? You're in bed in this dark and you're trying to figure it all out. And Jesus is saying, why are you worrying? You're not going to gain any more time. If I can take care of the birds, I can take care of you. You are more valuable than the birds that I love, that I care for. Now let me give you some seeds. There's always seeds. Where does this anxiety and fear come from? Obviously by sin, but here's some practical seeds. Uh, first seed is our upbringing. A lot of us are carrying anxiety and fear from our past, from our upbringing. I lived in a, a great household with great mom and dad, and, and, uh, but there was lots of mouths to feed. There was Bonnie, Barry, Betty, Becky, Bobby, Brindy, and Bradley. And we also had nine years of two foster um, uh, siblings, John and Susie. And my dad, you know, was working his best and it was just very difficult. And I remember always grown up with a lack of funds, a lack of money. Uh, my, my, my mom and dad were doing the best they could. They were trying to make the dollar stretch. This is in the you know, 70s when uh, interest rates were 18%, 28, 20% of homes and, 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 and all that. And, and he's try, they're doing their best, but they would bring home like bargain basement nasty cereal called Puff Rice and you poured powder milk on puff rice, it was horrible. The only way you could cover it was lots of sugar. But that's what I, I grew up with all the time, shopping at thrift stores, Goodwill. Remember, as I was devastated as a junior hire when the whole t- entire basketball team needed red basketball shoes, and I went to Big Five with my dad. And I still remember the look on his face when I said, Dad, here they are, and he saw the price tag. And his countenance fell, and he said, son, I would love to buy you those. I just can't afford it. And I wasn't disappointed in my dad, I hurt for him. It was like beginning to understand a little bit, not even close to the pressure he was under. And so while everybody was wearing red and white basketball shoes, I had blue basketball shoes. But I but I didn't realize I put a seed of anxiety and fear inside of me. And it wasn't until I now I'm a father of three children and we're trying to make ends meet and, and we're not making ends meet in California. We even come back here and it was a struggle. And, and every time finances got tight, my anxiety and fear rose and I became irritable and short and impatient. Until one day, I mean, about 10, 12 years ago, finally hit me. I know where this is coming from. 
It's from my past. Maybe you were rejected, and any sense of rejection today brings up bad memories and those seeds, and now you're anxious and fearful. Maybe you were abandoned. I talk about abandonment in, in the ch- several different types, and any sense of being alone just spins you out of control. It's because of our upbringing. Another seed of anxiety and fear is sinful secrets. That we've done something to know is wrong and we haven't told anybody, God knows, but we try to hide it, deny it, we lie about it, and we gotta keep lying about it, and, and we try to avoid certain conversations about certain cities, about certain people, and, and we're just anxious because what if I get caught? What if I get caught? What if what was, get, this gets exposed? And you haven't told your spouse, you haven't told your parents, you haven't told anybody. Bible says, be careful, your sins will find you out. And that is haunting to you. And the human body, God did not wire us to carry guilt and secrets. And time and time again, when people finally have come clean to their spouse, finally have come clean with their family, there's embarrassment and there's consequences, but there's, it's interesting, there's like a, a sense of relief. Like, I've been carrying this for so long can finally put it down. Then there's also a seed of desire for control. I'm looking at a room full of control freaks. You're looking at someone on the stage that's a control freak. We, some of us just hide it better. Some of you can't act at all. You're just a weird control freak. Everybody knows it. But we all have a sense of control freak. And when we try to control the situation, control the relationship, control our children, control our grandchildren, control things at work, we're anxious and fearful because Well, if I just can get things in order and get things the way I like it, I'll be fine. And guess what? It's like repeating the cycle of insanity. We were not wired to carry the weight, the baggage of anxiety and fear. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We will arrive there shortly, but I want to set up some antidotes, you know, to gain victory over anxiety and fear. And 1 Samuel 17 will give us an example of that. But before we get there, here's the first antidote for anxiety and fear from Scripture, and that is this, having the peace of God. You, 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 you can't conjure up the peace of God. He gives it to you. But there's a process that we go to. The peace of God doesn't rain like clouds and, oh, there's some over here and some over there, and I just got to go over there and get some. No, there's a process that Scripture lays out so that we can receive the, the peace of God. And, and this passage is the most used passage that I have used in church and in counseling with people because of the fear and anxiety. Um, you probably heard it like this is the third time this year. Exactly. It's kind of like that pastor who kept preaching the same message, the same message. They're like, pastor, why do you keep preaching the same message? He goes, well, when you start applying it, I'll stop teaching it. And I'm not, this is not a guilt trip. I'm like, this is a go-to passage because of, since COVID, we have seen anxiety and fear on massive steroids. But if you are a child of God, you have access to this. It is priceless to have the peace of God. If you're not a child of God, you do not have access to this until you begin a relationship with God through Christ. And then that door is open for you. In Philippians, 
It says this, rejoice. It's a command, rejoice in the Lord, always. Now, I'm gonna point to these two words, and when I point to them, you're gonna say, I want you to respond back, choose joy, okay? Okay, you're a little slow, class, all right? Needs, you need some uh, Lone Star Donuts, all right, to keep, keep it going, all right? Because really, rejoicing is the choice. When we rejoice, we're choosing joy. Here we go, here we go. Choose joy in the Lord always. I will say it again. Choose joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Not your stress, not your anxiety, which your entire office wing knows that you're stressed out. All your kids know mama's upset. Mama's freaking out. Gentleness is strength under control. It's a horse that is, that is tamed. With all this massive power, it's under control. When life is out of control, if we're choosing joy, one of the results is gonna be we're gonna be gentle. And he says, let your gentleness be known or evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. We forget these four words. This is right in the middle of the heart of this passage. The Lord is near. Because the Lord is near, we can choose joy. Because the Lord is near, we can choose gentleness. And it should be evident to everybody around us. Now here's the next step of what to do. Do not be anxious about most things. Is that what it says? No, it's like, don't be anxious about anything. And this is playing out is don't remain anxious about anything. We have anxiety and just put it out. Here's how to put it out. But in every situation, all the craziness, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we often forget that, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You are anxious, you are fearful. This was a bad report. You don't, you're not looking forward to this next week. You're not looking forward to that relationship. You're anxious, okay, I'm gonna choose joy. I'm gonna choose joy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my, my gentle, I'm gonna respond with strength under control. Now I am going to not remain anxious. I'm gonna go to God. I'm gonna give him my list. I'm gonna give it with thanksgiving. Now here's the results. The result is this, and the peace of God, which transcends, which goes beyond all understanding. Where guards your hearts, that's the emotion of fear. It will guard your minds, that's the emotion of anxiety. What if, what if, what about? It will guard it in Christ Jesus, in your relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is near you, who is walking with you right now. We forget that, the Lord is near. The peace of God, that's the number one antidote. Number one one antidote. The second one is this, is go on the offense. Satan wants to put us on our heels and, and go play defense, go on offense. In the passage of 1 Samuel 17, the, the Israelite army is, is um, facing a, a close to eight foot, 300 pound giant called Goliath. And they are running scared to their tents every time he comes out, mocking their God, mocking them. You know, questioning their manhood, questioning their God, and they run in fear. David, teenage David, comes up, sees this, and like, why, why, why are we allowing this guy to mock our God? Somebody needs to do something. I'll do something. 
goes, sees Saul and tells him how God has worked in his past and God saved me from the lion, God saved me from the bear. That giant's going down. And David went on the offense against the giant. You see, fear's a giant. Anxiety's a giant. And those giants are relentless. And they will keep coming after you. But it's time to go on offense. Let me read what David did. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This is some spiritual smack talking going on. Teenager talking to a giant, you're going to come with me with your weapons. I'm coming into you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I'll cut off your head. That's what you said you're going to do to me. I'm going to cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army. Now he's going to about the whole army, not just a giant, the whole army. To the birds and the wild animals, the whole world will know, and they still know, that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He went on the offense. And he wasn't going in his own strength. He didn't have any. He called on the Lord Almighty. Because of his relationship, he knew God could provide, God could win, God's going to take the victory, not little teenage David. But he went on the offense. Our daughter Holly struggled with anxiety and fear. Even at a young, tender age, she had such a tender heart. She was very tender. And a tender heart toward God, but that tender heart toward God could get scared easily. And we battled things when she was younger and tried a bunch of different things. And, and our introvert girl was suffering more than Candy and I realized until her senior year and things broke. At the exact time I'm breaking with my issues, um, in life, I need to go see a counselor. And years later, uh, we were actually in Denver visiting her, and that's when we were surprised that she was pregnant with our first granddaughter. And, and she shared with us that her, she finally had gotten victory. And she was telling us, I, 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 this is what God's doing in my life with anxiety and fear. And I'm holding her hand and now I'm crying as she's crying and holding Candy's hand and she's crying and Holly's husband, Luke, he's crying. And when she gets all done, I, I, I privately said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this book. Would you tell your story? Would you be willing to tell your story? And so she recorded it and sent it to me and said, yes. She said, anxiety started at a young age for me when I was very little. I remember having night terrors to the point where my parents came in to soothe me back to sleep. Sometimes I went to their bed for comfort. As the years went by, the night terrors slowly went away with prayer and protection from what I saw on TV. But anxiety comes in many forms and will continue to grow within you. During my senior year in high school, something broke inside my spirit. 
panic attacks came flooding in with a vengeance as I was paralyzed by anxiety. Panic attacks were embarrassing as they often came at the worst of times. They came in public settings like during a school presentation, presentation right before basketball practice, during a game, in the hallway, etc. I'm not exaggerating when I said I probably had a hundred of them that year. The problem was that I hid the secret baggage of anxiety that had been building up inside of me for years. It didn't just happen when I turned 18. Anxiety slowly piled up like rocks in a backpack until I could not carry that burden anymore. I was paralyzed and needed to go on anxiety medication. With the help of counseling, that's why we have counselors listed in our program. With the help of counseling and mentoring, I was able to learn some mindset shifts that helped me cope. But it wasn't until I learned who I am as a child of God that I gained my freedom. God is a good God. Panic attacks are not from him. Therefore, they are from Satan himself. He couldn't get me as a little girl with night terrors anymore. So he slowly built a stronghold in my mind to paralyze me. Recently, I sensed a strong panic attack coming on. And as I was beginning to cry and struggle for air, I stopped what I was doing and out loud with the power of Jesus, I told Satan, get out of my mind in the name of Jesus. Get out of my house and leave. Never come back. You cannot touch me for I'm a child of God and you do not own my mind anymore. As soon as I finished, I knew he fled. Instant peace surrounded me. I stopped crying, I stopped panicking, I began to breathe easily. And then I put some worship music on and sang out loud to refill my mind with praise to God. For the first time, I finally felt like I was on the offense in my life. I'm no longer playing defense, especially in my mind. For years, I thought I just had to ride out the wave when panic attack came and try to mitigate it, but this time I was able to stop it at its source with divine power. I'm free, not just from anxiety medication, but free in my spirit. She didn't fight, she didn't win this battle because of Holly, our quiet little introvert sweet girl. She came with the power of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Stop playing defense, go on the offense. Third, last, and I may go over, but they'll keep the food warm for you. (laughs) There's a third antidote against anxiety and fear is worship. It's the soundtrack of faith, Louis Giglio says. It's worship. As those giants keep coming, the fear and anxiety, it's a constant battle of giving, surrendering things to God and getting the peace of God and going on the offense with the power of the Lord God Almighty. One of the biggest weapons that we have faced, Ken and I have faced, and has defeated these giants is by worship. Because it was April of 2016 when we got that call from our friend, our doctor, Dr. Mike that we had no idea that was coming when he said, Candy, you have cancer. 
and it is serious. Our whole world flipped upside down. We couldn't process that. We were numb the rest of the day and then at night. I mean, we prayed and we hugged and we cried. And, but that night as we were getting ready to bed, I'm like, God, I, I, got, I got nothing. I, I don't have anything to say to my wife. I wish it was me. But if my wife was already in bed and I could hear her sniffling, I'm like, God, I got to hear from you tonight. I've got to hear from you tonight. And out of the blue, I heard in my mind, Jim Cimbala. It's a pastor in Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in, in, in New York City. I, had, I hadn't listened to a podcast of his message in over a year. Out of the blue, that's why I know it was God, not the enemy. God said, Jim Cimbala. That's all he said. So in the dark, I pulled up my phone, went to their message, uh, you know, part of their website, and I saw a title, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. I was like, that's pretty fitting. Push play, have my earphones, headphones in. The whole message is on 2 Chronicles chapter 20. One of the few good kings, King Jehoshaphat, who honored God, followed God, was surprised with the announcement that three armies were around the bend. They didn't have radar, they didn't have satellite. Three armies were around the bed. He didn't have time to call in his army. He didn't have time to call in the reserves from the northern, northern part of, uh, of Israel. And he didn't have time. And this verse got me. This is what he said to God. God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't have power. We don't know what to do, but our eyes, I'm turning my eyes upon Jesus. A couple of verses later, a prophet of God comes to him and he says this, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's goes on to say this, this this is what God's saying, that you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. He actually told them, take what you do have and go out and wait for the armies to come. But don't fight, I got this. And this is what King Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out to the, at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. He sent the worship team out ahead of the, what army that he did have. Yay, worship team. Go out there and face them, don't fight, I got this. So he went out there, stand, you're gonna see the deliverance of the, of the Lord. So, so they started with the worship team. And then a couple verses later it says this, and as they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. God turned those three armies on each other and they started killing each other as they're singing praises to God, their enemies were defeated. This passage was our Cling to passions, passage. And every time, every time 
Satan ordered his giants of anxiety and fear to come marching at us. We would pray and ask for the peace of God. We would pray and giving gratefulness in the midst of craziness. And we went on offense with the word of God. And we worshiped. There are times where tears were flowing while we're worshiping. And every single time, here's what happened. Anxiety and fear dissipated. Satan left. Joy and peace rose because of worship. So when you're facing the enemy, know who the enemy is. It's not God sending you this junk in your head and your heart and mind and soul. And what are you saying? This is not from God. This is from enemy. Go on offense. When you pray against the evil one, don't pray silently. He can't read your thoughts. He's not God. Pray out loud in the name of Jesus. And then he hates it. He hates it. He hates it when we give God praise. So sing out loud. And I'm driving. Sometimes I'm coming to work. Tears are coming down my eyes. And I'm praising God as Satan's attacking my mind that I'm going to be a widower at, at, in my early 50s. And my wife, she's fearful of not seeing grandkids. And what if, what if, what if? And we would, she's at home. I'm driving. Sometimes tears are flowing. And we're praising God out loud and tell Satan to go to his destination called hell. Yes, I did tell Satan to go to hell at times because that's where he's, he's bound to go. And every time Satan left, he came back. The giants are relentless, but they are always defeated with the Lord Almighty in his word and worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will just kind of disappear, strangely dim, in the light of his glorious face. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have access to the universe's greatest power. Tap into it. If you don't know Jesus, I, I feel for you when you're going through things without a relationship with God through Jesus. But you have access to him by simply saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. You died for my sins. I trust in you as my savior. And then you have access to his power. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you have been wrestling with anxiety or fear, even this week, could I see your hand? Just put it up. I don't need to know what it is. You've been facing a giant of anxiety and fear. Yes, many, many hands. Now you have the antidote. Beginning with a relationship with Jesus. Use them. They work every time. Does the situation change? Most times not, but we do. And then we see God. God, I pray that all of us would turn our eyes to Jesus and keep them fixed on Jesus. There's so much craziness and darkness and evil and pain in the world. There's fear raging in our economy and our culture and our county. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus and trust in him and leverage his power and worship him. And I pray that in the Grace Point family, Satan will get more and more frustrated because those tools aren't working as like they used to. 
We claim victory in the name of Jesus. And we say, amen. Oh, man, I needed 50 more minutes. I got next hour. If you're our guest today, thank you so much for coming. We just, we wanted you to experience God today and his word and worship. Uh, we want you also to experience Food Truck Sunday. If you're a part of our Grace Point family, um, when you visit one of those food trucks, be generous with your tip and your smiles. If you're our guest, please go to guest services. We have a gift waiting for you. We're so glad that you're with us today. Hope to have you back next week as we wrap up the series. Have a great week.